Hi, everyone, and welcome to the special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and Celebrity Interviews Live from the Grotto of Great Greg Hanna. Greg, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing fantastic, Neil. How are you? I'm doing great, and I'm excited about our guest uh, today. Our guest today is Martha Bolton. She's a screenwriter, author. Uh, is it also you had a, a nomination that's a pretty interesting nomination as well. Martha, thanks for stopping by. So when you think about your career, how would you define that career, first of all? You know, you, you, there's so many different things you've done. You know, Emmy nominee, uh, Outstanding Achievement in Music and Lyrics, 88 books you've you you you've written i mean i i don't know how you wrote 88 books <laughs> do you think of that greg 88 books i'm trying to write my first book greg has written <laughs> 88 books that's all i have to say that's oh, I, that, I, I, that'd be something if we were doing like you know on tiktok or something just typed out 88 books who could say they've written that many <laughs> you think you'd be this accomplished in all the things you did have done well, well, the one word to describe it is no sleep. So oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great I one. Do, I do an awful lot of writing at, at three o'clock in the morning. And wow. that's just when I get inspired. And, and if, if I'm laying there, I want to get to work and just start. So uh, if you don't, if you don't get out of bed and start writing it down, you can't remember it in the morning. So it, yeah, I've just trained myself to do that. And then you mean, and a New York Times bestselling author. I love, Greg, also I want to say New York Times bestselling author. That's something that's pretty amazing too, right? You guys have a club, right? That we, Greg and I are not part of yet. We're not in that club, no. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's been, it's been a surprise. Definitely. I, you just do, you know, one foot in front of another, one book in front of another, and you just keep going as projects come and before you know it, you look back at your career. I'm in the middle of writing my memoirs right now. And uh, you look back and you go, my goodness, where, you, you know, when did I have time to do all this? But, but I did, you know, you're, you're looking at going through um, all the scripts and the books and the manuscripts and all the ads for it and just the experiences, the photos I'm... Martha, we could have five hours with you if you check out <laughs> the Bob Hope. I mean, I, yeah. see, I, hate, I hate to read a bio, you know, be on a podcast. I like to ask questions, but we couldn't, Greg, there's no way we could cover all the things that Martha's accomplished. I know, I'm, you know, staff writer for Bob Hope. I mean, how cool is that? <laughs> oh, it was, it was wonderful. I mean, I was already writing for Phyllis Diller and, and uh, you know, some other comedians, wow. but he's the top. I mean, <laughs> you know, when I got the opportunity to write for him and I was his, I became his first woman staff writer. So that, that was another, um, you know, exciting moment, but, and he was so uh, wonderful to work for. Oh my goodness. I just, I loved writing, uh, the book, the Dear Bob book, just to to sing his praises because he's just was an incredible human being, and uh, the world was better off that he was in it. Mm. Wow! Um, wow! And how did you get that gig, Bob, to be a writer for Bob? Hope? Well, it it it, <laughs> it came after um, I I was writing for the other comedians. And then I wanted to get into script writing. And I had read this book by a gentleman named Gene Parrott, who had written for the Carol Burnett show. And we had a lot in common because I got my comedy writing start writing, uh, roasting pastors because 
I was a church secretary and I was roasting the pastors. And uh, so I just wrote him a little letter saying that we had a lot in common because that's how he got his start. And then he invited me down to see Mama's family. He was also a cre creative consultant from that because that's spun off of a uh, Carol Burnett show. And then uh, I showed him some of my writing and he recommended me to uh, write a script for Mama's family. And so I ended up writing two scripts and got it to him. And uh, he he really loved them and he got it to the producer. And the producer said he was going to call me in the next season to let me pitch some show ideas. And as of what happens in Hollywood, the show got canceled in the meantime. It ended up getting picked back up later, but it got canceled in that moment. So it was this from this huge disappointment because I was so close. And then, uh, you know, it got uh, it came crashing down before I could, you know, do it. Um, he he happened to be a writer for Bob Hope. And he said, would you like to try writing for Bob Hope? And, uh, you know, that was <laughs> like, are you serious? And and I, I did some jokes and sent it into Gene. He got it to Bob. And then a little bit later, I kept waiting to hear. And a little bit later, one night, it was probably 1130 at night, I get this phone call. And it's Bob Hope on the other end of the line. <laughs> I could not believe it. Oh, my goodness. It just, at at at, uh, at first, I thought it was a guy in our church that did voices. He impersonated people. And he knew I had sent some jokes to Bob. So he had been pretending to be him before that. And then when it, when it actually was him, I thought it was the other guy. So it ended up being Bob Hope. And wow. That's, he gave that's me some crazy. more assignments <laughs> and I just kept on going. So 15 years. Yeah. Wow. 15 years. Yeah. Wow. Did you ever get on the Johnny Carson show with him or? Well, yeah, he would go on and then we'd, we'd, uh, have the assignment to write material for him to uh, go on the show and, and, and say, so it was always a big deal when he went on the Johnny Carson show. Yeah. Usually plugging a television special <laughs> coming up, you know, coming up next. So, so what would you think, what gave Bob hope the, this special talent? What would you say being interacting with Bob and all that, that made him different than other people? What would you say? He, um, he had he he just went for it. he was having fun from the first time he walked out on stage as a young man and uh till the end and i think nobody enjoyed their career as much as bob hope did he couldn't wait as soon as we finished one show he was on the phone talking about what are we going to do next if he traveled all around you know, into uh, other countries, he the plane would just land, and he'd say, "Okay, what we're going, what are we going to do next?" <laughs> he he loved what he did. He and the military. He, um, I had tremendous respect for what he did for the military, and and I think the world does too. And and in researching, dear Bob, um, the letters from the soldiers that interacted with him back and forth back and forth and just tremendous tremendous person human being and um encouraged the troops ended up winning so i always remember the college all-american thing greg 
for the college <laughs> all-american with bob hope when he would introduce all the college all-americans every year yeah so it was a huge pit fan in 1979 uh that that or it was 1981 when you know when they'd say dan marino q green and that pit team of 81 and you'd see can't wait to see the college all-americans who they're going to introduce on the bob hope show that i remember those days yeah <laughs> like, those were yeah. so fun yeah those were so fun and you look back and you see the the ones that have gone on to tremendous careers uh, but it was they'd come to the studio and they'd be these huge huge guys walking around you know and yeah and what was the most famous it. what's the most famous uh college all-american you met you oh can... my goodness uh well the refrigerator was on the show and, oh, i mean all of them all the all the major Super Bowl winners. Oh my goodness, that, that must have been crazy. So, how many years were you writing? You said I forgot. You said how many years? Fifteen. Probably. Fifteen. You met every celebrity. Can you imagine <laughs> that, Greg? He is just about. I mean, that he all ran the pictures, a good right? Crowd. You get he all the pictures. <laughs> it was fun because on the uh, at the shows, if he needed a line change or something like that, we would go into his dressing room. Uh, you know, and he would tell us, you know, we'd have to pitch the new the new joke to go in there and pitch. And there on the sofa would be these legends of comedy waiting to see what was going to come out of your mouth. And, uh, it, you know, Lucille Ball, Milton Berle, Danny Thomas. I mean, just and then all the, you know, start the up and coming stars. It was incredible. You never knew who was going to be on the show and. He he had uh, he it was an A list of Hollywood. Oh, I couldn't imagine, and that that is crazy. That's why you were in L.A. So, what's your tip for writers? Because you know, I'm trying to become a writer now. Greg's a writer. There's so many people who tune in to this podcast and Greg's podcast, plus the radio show. They all want someday to write. What makes a special writer to you? And what do you think? Because you know, so many people want to write, they just don't. They just don't think they can, or they don't feel they're worthy to do it. What would you say? Right. Number one, accept that <laughs> because every writer has that. Every writer has to overcome that. So that's number one. Number two, don't give up, uh, especially in the beginning, because you, you, you know, there are some hard knocks, you know, you get the rejection slips and you, you know, you were positive. My first book, when I sold it, I, I took a whole bunch of people out to dinner and then they, I got a few weeks later, I get a letter that the company had gone bankrupt. So, I mean, these things happen and you, you know, one moment you think it's going, just like I said, that's how I got to Bob Hope because I got a big disappointment. So don't ever think a rejection is a rejection of your talent or a rejection of your work. Sometimes it's just a different door that's going to open for you. So don't, don't give up in the process the process is important. That's how you grow. Even if you do get rejections, you go, okay, well, what did I do wrong? You know, and then you start trying to learn more and, and just keep putting, like I said, just one manuscript, you know, don't, if one comes back, see if there's something wrong with it. If there's not get it back in the mail, just, and then what I like to tell writers to do is have the next place ready that you're going to send it. So in case it comes back, you're ready. You just pop it in the envelope and it's gone. So you don't (laughs) feel bad too long, you know, because it's out there. There's still hope. 
and if it if it continues to come back then you then you work on it and see but but uh you're not as a writer you're not a one project person so mm-hmm. have a lot of projects and it increases your chances and you don't know which one is going to uh, the the acceptances are are kind of going to define your path. Yeah. Going, you know, because I wrote a lot of drama and then the acceptances was coming in comedy. And so I just went in that direction. And now I'm kind of coming uh, full circle, doing a lot of, you know, a blend of comedy and drama. And, uh, you know, in the musicals that I'm working on and, and we're doing and having uh, um much success with that which is exciting but it all it all started back then you know I was doing the drama first and then and then um comedy and then now it's it's a blend so uh, you know adapt wherever it's going be be willing uh to to change and uh go that direction for a while and then you may come back and go another direction but well so so your new book the uh, playwright you know the confession this Amish love story. How did you come up with that? And what's the process behind that? I mean, I might be wrong, but you know, forgive me, but you don't look Amish to me, but I'm not sure. (laughs) Well, that's interesting too. How that happened was, and I had, I was writing plays in the beginning, my very beginning and church plays and that, uh, that sort of thing. So I got approached by the producer who is, who is our uh, producer now on the musicals. And uh, he had heard about me. I had been recommended to him. And uh, so he asked if I had, you know, had would be interested in writing some Amish uh, musicals. And uh, so the, our first one, which is the confession, which has just now become the confession movie, a confession musical movie, uh, that uh, it was written by Beverly Lewis. It's a trilo- trilogy. And oh. she's a, you know, five million book selling authors, very popular in the Amish um, genre. And so we took that, it was a trilogy and we took the three books and we put it on stage, which it's been playing now in four theaters in Shipshawana, Indiana, and in Sugar Creek, Ohio, and in Burdenhand, Pennsylvania, and, and then in Sarasota, Florida. So it's been playing at over 200,000 people have have seen it and then we recorded it uh, as a film and uh, recorded it live uh, sold out to audiences thousand uh, both both uh, um, performances and it's it's coming out on fathom uh February 20th president's day and it's uh, going to be in 1600 uh, theaters across the country for that one day, two showings each theater. And then it'll be on up TV uh, around Easter. So it just kind of, uh, we started and we've got 13 plays that are, they're based in uh, either in Amish country. It's an Amish person that's in an English world or an English person in an Amish world is kind of the theme of all of these, but they're, right. A lot of comedy, a lot of drama, and uh, and this one is uh, definitely it's about a family, uh, Amish family that kept a secret, and uh, this Amish girl's journey to find the truth. And Shonda Pierce stars in it, and John Schneider, 
and uh, it's a lot of fun and it's got a powerful message. You know, it's interesting you talk about powerful message, all those different things in this, and which I think is cool. So it started out, you're just writing this for a play, right? And it's developed right. the movie yep. process. Was it a book ever or just more just the play, a play? Well, it was the, it was Beverly Lewis's trilogy, three books. And, and then we adapted it to the stage and uh, it became a very popular play. And, and then it just, we just kept going with one, about one a year, we'd come out with a new musical. And then did you ever think this was go to a movie, this whole process? Uh, Well, you know, not at first, but the more we kept doing it, then then we did start going in that direction, and we worked on it for quite a while uh, to bring it to film. And um, uh, this last year, we did it, and we're very excited. A lot of very talented producers are involved, and um, uh, Mel Rigsecker, who is from Shipshawana, and he was Amish, and then uh, uh, left the Amish church, and and at that time. Uh, he had gotten shunned, so that's a big part of uh, of the film too. Is the the shunning? Um, yeah, there's a shunning in it, so it's. But there's like a there's drama and there's a lot of laughter and a a good ending and a powerful message. So, wow, that's that's fantastic. What what other projects you have in the hopper right now? Well, I'm working on on my memoirs. Uh, that that is one project that wow. I'm doing, and then I'm uh, I've got a couple of other books in the works, and we're currently writing our next musical. So <laughs> I I keep busy. I keep yeah. Busy. You said you don't sleep. There's the reason. And <laughs> is that from the days in L.A.? You never uh, the city of angels never sleeps. Well, my husband was a, a Los Angeles police officer, so he always worked different shifts. So, so I was used to adapting to middle of the night. Uh, you know, I had three kids, so uh, a lot of a lot of night times that I was up. So if I was going to be up and nobody else in the house but me and the kids, and they were asleep, then I'd write. <laughs> all right, Greg, ask the question you ask all of our guests. Yeah, here it comes. I'm all excited to ask you this, Martha. Um, okay. What's the most important thing you've ever learned? Oh, wow. Well, well, the most important thing is probably um, not to give up. Like I like I said, because I, I can look back and, and so many situations, not just writing, but just life and uh, different things that have happened. And if I had given up anywhere along the line and I look back now, I could see the things that I would have missed had I given up, but I stayed with it. And then now I can look back and go, wow, had I not stayed with it and I'd thrown in the towel. And often you're, you know, you're tempted to throw in the towel just before it comes. Yeah. And if you give up, you know, just keep waiting, keep waiting because you don't know. It could be right around the corner. Could be years, but it could be right around the corner. Don't throw the towel in, Greg. Amen. Don't throw the towel in. Even those right. days, you know, people with their New Year's resolutions and all these different things, listen to what Martha says. So, Martha, we can check out the film again. Where's best place? Phantom, uh, 
you can go to the, the uh, Fathom um, website or the best, a really good one to remember is confessionmusicalmovie.com. And that you can buy the tickets there. You can check all the information about it at that site. And then you could also get it at fathom.com. Uh, Do you have a website yourself where people can go? MarthaBolton.com, easy. <laughs> oh my goodness piece gracious. Of cake. Uh, piece of cake. Interesting, Martha. I I could imagine, I can't imagine this memoir. Get ready. <laughs> I mean, but the 88 books now you gotta hit the so are you gonna write one other book before? So you say my 90th book's my memoir? <laughs> <laughs> well, it may, be, it may work out to be that way. <laughs> yeah, this is crazy. And uh, uh, continued success. Uh, such, such great stories to learn about and reminisce about Bob Hope. So I definitely reminisce watching with my father and stuff when they were in, and my mother announcing all the college, uh, the, the All-Americans on Bob Hope. Remember that? Yes. I know you remember that too. It's just, uh, it's just a picture saying, well, who, who was there? And watching Bob Hope and learning about some of the experiences you had. And uh, thanks again for stopping by. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. All right, guys, that was Celebrity Interviews live from the Grotto with Greg Hanna. Guys, take care. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and Celebrity Interviews live from the Grotto with Greg Hanna. Greg, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing great. I can't wait to talk to our guests. Yeah, I'm excited about our guest, JT Jester, author, entrepreneur. JT, how are you, man? And it's it's the the whole thing is Jester really your last name? That's the first question. <laughs> so Jester is uh, has a little story behind it, and it's uh, it's a pen name for me with my books, and uh, it's been a, a fun little journey. And Jester, I'll, I'll tell you why here a little bit later on. Okay, a little bit later on, he's keeping us in suspense, right? <laughs> and I can't believe I, it. That's amazing. I, yeah so, how did, yeah, so let's find out first the story, how you became an entrepreneur. How did that start? Well, thank you guys first off for having me on. And uh, and I guess, you know, my entrepreneur side of things in, in life has been, uh, I, I'll give you a little story of, of how, how my life was shaped and, and now that why I'm an author and a uh, public speaker and, and what I'm doing with all that. So I was a I was born um, with a syndrome called vectoral syndrome. It's a birth defect that affects the the body in different ways. Each uh, patient is different. And for myself, uh, at birth, they didn't know that I was going to be diagnosed with this. And so, upon my arrival, my uh, parents and the doctors quickly found out that I had vectoral syndrome and and what the birth defect. Uh, primarily affected me with is uh, what they call, uh, you can have from GI issues to spinal cord problems to uh, limb deformities, uh, cardiovascular issues, and uh, anal atresia and some different different aspects. And so for me, um, I had the GI side of things. So from the top of my esophagus all the way down to my anus, it was a uh, compromised. I had tracheoesophageal fistulas, which are like endless pathways that don't connect anywhere. And, uh, and the doctors had to immediately, um, you know, perform surgery on me and, 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 uh, start to figure out what was going on. And so the first repair was of the tracheoesophageal fistulas. And then from there, um, I had a colostomy bag because oh, they man. found out that I had a imperforated anus is what they call it. So the colostomy bag for several years of my life, why they 
continue to work on my lower GI and, uh, and, and slowly put me back together. And so um, the lower, so I had a resectioning of my colon, about 18 inches of my colon were removed. And then they ended up reversing the colostomy after they did what they call the pull through surgery to uh, fix the imperforated anus. And so throughout this, uh, this journey in my younger age, um, I had quite a few surgeries. I think by the time I was 16 years old, I had about 16 operations oh and, uh, and they can, and from there, um, you know, continue to have different things happen. So as I got older, uh, I had what they called tethered spinal cord that comes along with vectoral syndrome. And, uh, and so as I was growing, basically the spinal cord is supposed to float freely between your vertebrae and mine had attached the sacrum nerves. And so as I was growing, it was pulling like a rubber band, getting tighter and tighter and, uh, causing different pain down the legs and loss of bladder control. And we didn't know what was going on. Oh, and so from there, the, the, the doctors uh, did an MRI and diagnosed me with the, with the tethered spinal cord. So um, part of my life journey has been a lot about this medical side of things and and uh, and dealing with that and continuously dealing with that. Um, you know, I, I have different things that I have to do on a day-to-day basis. I still have no bowel control. I have no uh, motility for the lower GI. So I do uh, a, a glorified enema every day through a, a port that they developed where they put it in my belly button. And it's pretty amazing. I catheterize myself through my belly button and I put in 500 cc's of this glorified enema in, in an IV bag. And that flushes out my my lower system, my, my GI. And uh, it's been a blessing just uh, how easy and, and simple it is to use. But the medical is the one aspect of my life and then comes the education and I struggled learning and, and reading and writing growing up. And so with the medical being first and foremost, um, we put the education kind of on the back burner. So from first grade to fifth grade, we, you know, were really focused on a lot of medical things. But as I got to that fifth grade, uh, the teachers, you know, continuously said, you know, JT's out of the hospital or out of the school for 200 and some days at a time here. He'll catch up. He'll catch up. Well, I wasn't catching up. And so in that fifth grade year, um, we ended up finding a program that uh, after trying many learning programs, we found one called Tatum Reading that was just so beneficial for me and took me from a non-reader and within several months became a reader and, uh, and then, uh, you know, went throughout uh, middle school being homeschooled in the program. And then from there, going back to, to uh, high school and then going on to college, which is something I never thought would be possible and, uh, and have been a blessing. So, yeah. And so, you know, with, with those sort of footnotes there of, of my, my journey, um, you know, it took me to college and, uh, I'll step back just a second here. When I was in fifth grade, I was at a school that, uh, basically the administration at the time, um, it was a private school said the, the headmaster specifically came up to me, a fifth grader and said, you know, cause I wasn't keeping up with the other kids. I wasn't performing at the level of, uh, my class. And he said, 
to me in the hallway at the end of a school day said, JT, unfortunately, you you're you you can't keep up with the other kids and you won't be able to come to school here anymore. Oh my goodness. And wow. uh and so that was, you know, a big life-changing moment because as a fifth grader, I went home crying and uh and ran home and remember laying on the kitchen floor, hitting the floor and just telling my mom and dad that all I want to be able to do is read and write like every other kid. Wow. You know, JT, this is amazing. I, man, I'm, I'm so sorry you went through so much. You know, if we had an hour, I'd love to hear the whole life story and go through the whole <laughs> thing. But we only got 15 minutes and we've only got like cool. four left. And first of all, I, I want to know, man, you're rocking a Submariner Rolex, one of my favorite. Tell us about how you got that. <laughs> Well, um, you know, with 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 what I'm doing is a, is you know putting a lot of hard work in with my my stuff, but um, I've been blessed to be able to uh, participate in in our, our family business and uh, and with that, um, you know, have, have had some great success in that, and and we uh, manage uh, uh, assisted living and skilled nursing facilities as well as apartment facilities, and so oh, beautiful. That's, that's the business side, but. Um, you know, my, my journey has been majority is, is all about my books and no bad days being my most recent book. All right. So, so, so tell us quickly about no bad days, but I guess no bad days. And so the, when you can talk about a little bit of the family business, so, you know, 15 minutes is hard when you get that opportunity to get on the mic, but man, your story to say how Greg, I think yeah, what he's told us when we feel bad about ourselves, Greg. We oh just got to look and listen to what he's gone through yes. and how he has a smile on his face and say, man, yeah. I, I better not think about any of my troubles or problems compared to what you've gone through. And, it, you know, it's your faith. And also, let, but tell us about no bad days. Yeah. So I, I guess, how, you know, some important messages that I have learned throughout this journey of life that we all have challenges. We all have a story that's being written every day. And the good Lord is, uh, is, you know, writing that story with us. And, you know, in this book, No Bad Days, it talks all about, uh, you know, my journey, but many other individuals' journeys and their business uh, failures and their successes, and then their medical challenges, their education challenges. And, you know, some of the most important takeaways that I, I've learned is that it's important to find your tribe, find the people that you want to be surrounded by, the people that are going to help help you in those hard times, help you in the good times and be there as, as support. And then to share your story, you know, I think that being able to express what you've been through is very crucial because it helps other people open up to you, learn from you. And, uh, and, and in return, it creates a trust factor that is so beneficial for, uh, for in the business world or, you know, outside of that, just as a friendship side of things too. And creating, breaking down those walls and creating that, that relationship and then uh, learning to fall, you know, with, with life, we're going to fall, whether that is in your faith journey, or if that's in your, your medical side of things and in health side of things or business and, uh, and, you know, being able to pick yourself back up and to carry on is, is so, so important. And you, this book, you know, has many tools in it to uh to help sort of um ways that myself but not just myself individuals that have uh you know done other successful things in life and how they've gotten through those failures and challenges so it's powerful and i'm gonna go right to greg and this is that this is i think what we need to put on 
like a wall, right, Greg? No bad days. Yeah. He's an IT, so JT, so oh my gosh. And then as an entrepreneur, business owner myself, if I could put no bad days, I, I'm going to let Greg go have the question because, I mean, blown away about the story, but blown, blown away about the entrepreneurship, but also how he keeps such a happy go lucky feeling with the challenge he has. What, what question do you have, Greg, for him? Yeah, that's amazing. Well, you know, JT, I've got one question I ask all my guests. Yeah. And uh, what's the most important thing you've ever learned? <laughs> I love that. I think the most important thing I've ever learned is never to give up. And, uh, and I mean, I've seen it first and foremost in the medical side of things. And, you know, when you're a child in a hospital and you're walking down the hallway and uh, you look in one room and you see this kid and you say, dad, that kid's not as sick as me. You go down one more room, dad, that kid's a little bit sicker than me. And, um, and it puts life. Well, then you come back in the following week and both those kids aren't there. First kid was discharged. Mm -hmm. Second kid passed away. But the life lesson that came from that is that every day is a blessing and we have to put our best foot forward to, uh, to, to live this life. And, uh, and not to give up in those challenging times. That's amazing. Love that. It's a, it's a powerful thing, Greg, that you all have to put these sayings in a book, right? All the sayings, <laughs> what'd you learn in life? But kind of going back, JT, business-wise, now, you know, this book is going to help entrepreneurs as well. What would you say your entrepreneur journey? You talked about the whole health thing, but I want to get a quick, yeah. just quick, just version of how, did you, was it a family business the whole time or did you kind of, bring a certain perspective and what you've done. Yeah. You know, you know, I think that that's, you know, obviously it's a, a big question in the fact that I've been very blessed to be involved in, in my, a family business. But I think honestly, the entrepreneurial side of things is for me has been taking my story and, uh, and writing a book about it and then sharing it. But most importantly is I put together a foundation and the entrepreneurial side of that has been, you know, for me, someone who uh, loves people, but has a hard time asking individuals for money and uh, being able to go out there and uh, really stretch myself in that genre, but also to be able to create a very successful foundation that um, we're able to give back uh, to so many families and, uh, and, and provide them with medical supplies and, uh, and housing um, while they're undergoing medical treatment for their children. Wow. It's like your own little St. Jude's going on there. <laughs> well, it's, it's been a, it's been truly a, a, a blessing to me because I've learned so much from these individuals and, and just, uh, being able to give back to something so important to me. Uh, that's All wonderful. right. So where can we find info on the foundation? Yeah. So jtjester.com, um, is, the easiest way to come across everything. Um, but then Instagram, JT Jester Speaks, and all other social media is JT Jester Speaks. And uh, and those can guide you in the direction of, of anything throughout both of those. You know, Greg, like I said, if just hear him out and then see his inspiring days of no bad days, we're going to have to live that and put that on our wall, no bad days, especially when we do have those challenges but not to the level that JT and how he overcomes them. And now he's helping in this foundation. We really appreciate you coming by. Well, thank you. I want to close yeah. with one thing, just yeah. the fact that there are no bad days. There's only hard ones. And we, uh, we get through those together.
Exactly. And that's how we only learn and grow is through those bad days. Because yes. if everything was easy and it was not a challenge, what would be the purpose of life? Except exactly. to overcome these challenges and keep going. So we appreciate it, JT. Thank you guys so much for this opportunity. You're welcome. That was a special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and celebrity interviews live from the grotto with Greg Hanna. Guys, take care. We're back to Neil Haley Show and also the Media Giant Effect. And I'm excited to welcome the program author, podcaster, speaker, Marisa Jones. Marisa, how are you? And you know what? When I think about specifically what you're doing to help women mental health wise, it's just a tremendous thing. And especially with your podcast, I'm really bringing awareness for mental health. You should be commended. Thank you. It's it's so important. And I'm really happy to be doing what I'm doing. It's just it's been a progression of, you know, 30 years working in the corporate world and then my personal life and, and the challenges I've, I've overcome. And now I put that all together and I'm helping others to achieve the same mental balance that I have. And it's it's just it's really exciting to be uh, doing this type of work. Absolutely. So let's jump, but let's just jump right into this. And we're going to talk about a topic today. You help again employers, employees at companies at Fortune 500 companies and you know, corporations help their employers get through certain mental health issues and dealing with challenges and different things like that. But more topic today, we're going to talk about self-care for employees, the challenges that they're going through on a regular basis with self-care. The word self-care is just a newer word. Some people have used that buzzword a bit, but it's something that is not is forgotten, especially when you get caught up with work and family life. You forget self-care. And especially for employees, how can they start to take care of themselves better through self-care? So I think when people think of self-care, there's things like, you know, getting your nails done to getting your hair done and going to the spa. Um, and then other people look at it like doing yoga or doing um, going to work out. But not everyone has that kind of time in the day to block out an hour to three hours to take care of themselves. So when I think about self-care, it's about thinking about um, taking care of your mental health and your physical health throughout the day. And so even though you're uh, very busy throughout the day, um, as employees of a company, we need to make sure that we take the time either between meetings or lunch breaks to take care of ourselves. And that's when we can reju rejuvenate and, re and kind of re-energize so that we can continue going through throughout the day and, and be able to support and, and work with our colleagues efficiently and then support the people around us. All right. So this is so key. So the give us some tips for employees at work for self-care wise while still doing their job and doing it on a regular basis, especially when you have lunch breaks or breaks or just different ways. I think a lot, there's so many different ways. I think one of the biggest things is if you can go outside. So, you know, even if it's for a 10 minute walk or if it's to walk from one building to another or walking to a nearby uh, place to get lunch, you know, taking a few minutes, but if you have a few minutes, all it takes is 10 minutes. If you can step outside and, and just uh, stand quietly for a moment outside, if you're able, take your shoes off, put your feet in the ground and start grounding, uh, feeling the grass, feeling the earth. Um, it's it's so energizing and you don't realize how much that those few moments can really help you. So if you're stressed and you're just rushing around, you can slip out quietly. Most of us have a few minutes throughout the day where we can break away. 
So if you can step outside, that's I would say that's the first recommendation. And in those moments, just be silent. Don't work on your phone. Uh, take some slow, deep breaths and just reconnect with yourselves and kind of check in. Um, if you can't make it outside, then go find yourself a, a, a an office, an empty office and close the door. Um, no one has to, you know, know what you're doing, whether you're working or, or calling uh, someone, but, you know, take down a few notes, um, find a quiet spot space um, and, and just kind of block out all the noise and be yourself. Um, that's really important to be able to um, think about what it is you're feeling, right? Because we, we get stressed out going from meeting to meeting to meeting, and it's always about someone else and what we need to do for someone else. But even just sitting quietly and taking time for a moment for yourself to just breathe deeply and, and slowly and, and kind of feel how you're feeling, um, it's amazing how much that, that re-energizes you throughout the day. It truly re-energizes re you. And it's something that's so, so important. Any other types of self-care? It's harder as the employee, but I guess there could be ways of doing it before you get home from work as well. But give us some, you know, some other self-care ideas. One of my favorite things to do is if you, uh, what I call it, decompressing on your way home. So if you're commuting uh, or if you even work from home, you need that time to decompress to let your mind kind of close out the day. And so sometimes when I'm having a really busy day on my way home, I'll even just text, you know, my family and say, hey, I'm decompressing. And that means don't call me, you know, don't expect anything to me. I need that time to kind of close out because if I don't have that time to decompress, the minute I walk in the door, I'm still carrying my workload with me. I'm still thinking about all the things I have to do, the emails I have to send, the things that I have to, you know, do tomorrow morning. So that time to decompress, because you need to find a way to, to transition to, to transition from work life to personal life. And that's really important that you find a way to find that flow. Totally find that flow, find a way to find that flow. And I, that decompression, I remember that, you know, I couldn't wait to listen to, you know, political talk driving home uh, from when I was teaching you know, all day teaching, and then it's okay. I got an hour in commute. It's okay. It's time to kind of decompress, listen to that music, or make or make some phone calls. But or but really, it's smart to kind of let go. And then you're you're traveling or driving or different places like that when you're flying as well. That's a perfect time to decompress. Shut absolutely. Shut down what you're doing. Go ahead. And I want I want to correct. Don't make any phone calls. Absolutely not. That okay, time I'm not is the right person. You. That time is for you. So listen to a podcast. Listen to some meditation music. Um, you can meditate in the car while you're driving, right? You can do that. You can find those silent moments. You can pray. Uh, you can listen to the radio and dance while you're driving in the car. It's about you and the focus is, is yourself. You know, I think, you know, making phone calls is a, in the car is a distraction and it doesn't allow you. You're still you're still talking to someone, whether it's work or personal life. You want to make sure it's all about you. I'm finding out many people are not using their PTO anymore. They're just, they're, they're not, they're not taking the paid time off. How important is that in self-care to make sure you're taking your vacation days, you're taking your PTO days. You're not just thinking you have to be locked to work and that you're afraid to miss. 
you you have to take that time off. You know, we are so limited, especially in the U.S. We are so limited. We have two to four weeks vacation, maybe six weeks if you've been at a company a long time. Uh, in other countries, they have months off. They have, you know, what we would call a sabbatical here in the U.S. You have to take that time, even if it's you know, every Friday during the summertime or every Monday during the summertime or half days, but you have to take that time off and make it about yourself and take that time for your, for your family, your friends, yourself, and make yourself a priority. Because I hate to say this, but, you know, companies, when it comes down to it and they have to make cuts, they'll be so quick to cut, to, to let you go that you have to, you know, make yourself a priority. Don't give too much of yourself to your organization. You can make, you can give yourself to the, your company and do it with quality time and quality performance, but you owe it to yourself and you owe it to the company as well. Because when you rejuvenate, you have some extra time off, um, you come back stronger. Um, if you don't have the ability to walk away because you're the only person who can do this particular job, you need to put systems in place so that you can walk away so that somebody can cover for you and th that you have a backup or that, you know, you plan something around a schedule, but it's important to make sure that you take that time for yourself because you, you absolutely need it for your mental health. All right. Best place people can find information on you, Marisa, where can they go? Uh, MyEverydayBeing.com or find me at the uh, WomenCEOAndReflection.com podcast. Appreciate it, Marisa. Take care. Thank you. Uh, you're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. Hi, and welcome to Women CEO and Reflection, a podcast dedicated to personal growth and mental health discussions with women CEOs across the globe. It's here where inspired women get candid about what drives them to succeed and the personal challenges they've encountered on their path to success. So if you're a woman on a mission, this is the podcast you don't want to miss. So sit back, relax, and let's get candid. Hi, and welcome to Women CEO and Reflection. I'm your host, Marisa Jones, and I'm joined by my co-host, Neil Haley. Today's guest is Pam Parkman Thomure. She's the Executive Director of Empowering Women Out of Prison. Pam has over 25 years as a nonprofit leader with a history of creating excellence and profitability for a number of diverse organizations through strategic planning and program growth. Pam's life of service includes several years on the National Symphony Orchestra Board in New York City, representing orchestras across the nation while building relationships and increasing awareness for arts education. Pam is a passionate advocate for caregiver support and education for families with loved ones battling Alzheimer's and dementia. She's a member of One Voice Central Texas and recently was awarded the prestigious Governor's Criminal Justice Volunteer Service Program Award. Welcome to the show, Pam. Thank you, Marissa. I'm really excited about being here and having your audience listen to our conversation. This is so great. I would love to hear more about um, the work that you do at the Empowering Women Out of Prison. Yes, so Empowering Women Out of Prison is a nonprofit organization in partnership with the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. We teach leadership and entrepreneurship to incarcerated women in the state of Texas. That's fantastic. Um, for for the, the program, uh, do you teach it to all the women in the prison or, or do they have to qualify? What are, what's kind of the criteria for doing that? Sure, there is a criteria. It's pretty uh, intense competition to get in. We usually have 
four to 500 applicants from across the state and different units that fill a hundred spots. And it's really about the desire to want to change your life and to transform uh, what life looks for you on the outside when you're going to be released. And then to have that entrepreneurial spirit and, and that desire to really network with other women and support other women. Are most of the women that go through the program, are they uh, soon to be released from their from the prison or um, or do they have like what's what does that look like? So they have to be within their five year mark of their projected release date. So most of them are on a three to five year uh, time frame about when they would get out. They're in our program for a year. And then we hope that they'll stay on for the second year and be servant leaders for the next class coming up and really mentor and coach and keep that culture alive. And then once they get finished with that, they can either stay with us until they leave prison or they can move on into different programs that might be available like culinary. If they've written a business plan for a food truck, we encourage them to go take those culinary classes and really learn more that can help them succeed. When when women, uh, you know, when a lot of times when I come across an entrepreneur, right, someone who wants to start their own business or they're leaders in an organization, um, they they usually have a lot of drive and motivation. And a lot of times they have this why, right, this purpose behind it that they're trying to, 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 to find, right, to serve others. Um, do you find that that is a component that may or may not be missing? Like, what's your take when it comes to women in prison? Where do they get that? Have they done the healing work or they have, have they done the work to get to that point where they can be inspired to, to start their own business or be a leader? I think that part of that, Marissa, really is about their desire to change. I don't know if the women who really apply for our class, the majority of them would be um, thinking they could ever really own their own business. I think they see the opportunity to change because we bring in a, a lot of executive leaders in that mentor and coach the ladies. And so there's that desire to, oh, I want to be around normal people. You know, when, when you feel like that you're being judged every day for the rest of your life for the worst decision you ever made, you really want that normalcy. And, and so you want to hear from people who are successful and, and learn from them. And so for us, we see women come in the door who basically come in with their heads down and maybe the desire is there, but they're still in prison and it's still a very protective barrier space. And, and they'll come in and they'll think that they have no value. They're so ashamed of what they've done. Um, many are uh, in there for reasons that, that you know, I, I look at them every day and I think that could be me, you know, that, that could be me in a, in a heartbeat. And so it's the girl next door, it's the it's the mom or the sister or the daughter. And when they leave our program, they're standing in front of a group of women and executive leaders, they're pitching their business plan. So they have to grow that desire and learn. And we teach them leadership. We talk about healing inside, talk a lot about head and heart and really owning your crime and, and not being ashamed and really going out and talking about your transformation. There's a lot of mental health issues that go on, as you can imagine, and there's no counseling in prison. And so we try to offer that component of uh, we do Brene Brown work, a lot of Brene Brown work, and, and we do um, different things called houses of healing and things that can help women to understand that we all have trauma in our life and we all have shortcomings. But if we can take that and learn from it and really strengthen ourselves and what we have to offer and then find our purpose and attach those two things together, they can really be successful. 
You know, I love I love what you talked about when it when it comes to the healing and the trauma because you know and we can all be in that position, right? And and I looked into when I started getting into mental health, I started looking at different programs and some some women I spoke to it did work in prisons, you know, and whether it's doing yoga or teaching uh, art class, art therapy, or whether it's doing Enneagram work. And um, most of the people in prisons, they're there because they've committed a crime, but usually that comes out of, um, it comes from trauma. I mean, I've, I've, <laughs> you know, I've led a colorful life. I had, you know, on the one hand, I had the successful IT career leading multi-million dollar projects, and I do mental health. But on the other hand, I was a school bully, you know, I did a lot of legal things. I did a lot of drugs. I was arrested when my ex-husband, after we got divorced, we got into a big fight. He stormed my house. I was arrested, you know, and I had a good lawyer and money and I was able to get off, but I could have easily been sentenced to prison, you know, for, for that type of event. So it can happen to all of us, but it all stems from, and that was a big turning point for me because I knew it was my anger that got me there. And I knew I needed a lot of healing work. Um, every time I tell a story, people get surprised. So if anyone heard that, uh, there's another one for you. Um, so, but it could be any one of us. And so I really like that you are offering them an opportunity uh, to change and change their circumstances and be able to move forward. I, I really see it as um, my calling in life because I too have a have a, a checkered past. I've never been arrested, but um, certainly have been through trials in my life that most people wouldn't have never known. I, I think I saw on your website where you know um, looking for the potholes of those CEOs that are out there that that really were, were hiding some things. And I spent a lot of years hiding some things. You know, life at home was not good. It was it was pretty rough and. And um, there were some um, some domestic issues, some violence issues. And uh, my husband, ex-husband now, was a, um, uh, not only an alcoholic, but also took drugs. And, you know, it's just one of those things that we hide because we're supposed to be strong women, and the, especially if you're in that CEO role. And the reality is, is that there's so much healing and um, power and transparency when we can really get in front of other women and say, look, here's my story. Here's what I did. And I hope that you'll hear something that might help you, but we're really no different at the core. And that's what I see in all these women, whether, and I have murderers, I have people who went to a party, um, during their time when they were in college and had a few too many drinks and drove home and killed someone, never had another the incident in their life. But now they're spending years of their life in prison and so remorseful. There's all different types of crime. And as you said, I would think 90% of the women in our class every single year, it started with some sort of trauma in their life, some sort of family relationship or spouse relationship, boyfriend relationship, some sort of trauma happened to them. I really appreciate you you sharing your checkered past uh, <laughs> and talking about that. And that's the whole point of this podcast, right? Because no one really talks about it. There's so much shame behind it. Um, but you can, you know, we're just human and we're just trying to figure out how to get through this, this crazy chaotic world, right? Um, yeah. So I, I do appreciate your honesty around that. Absolutely. So how did you get, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. How did you go from, so now you, you're on the, on the board for the National Symphony Orchestra in New York City. 
Um, and you also work with uh, those battling Alzheimer's and dementia. How does that align with your path on, on you know, in addition to the work you're doing in the prisons? Sure. I, I think that part of it was um, when I went to work for symphony orchestras, that was sort of a fluke. I started as an office manager and I moved my way up into the CEO position and then worked for several orchestras and and actually loved it. I mean, I, I traveled around the country and was able to to be in that world, especially during the hard time at home. So it was a way to escape home and kind of live a life that that normally, you know, most people don't get to live going to different concert halls and places across the United States. But I would say that catapulted me into a time frame where when I went through my divorce, I didn't know what to do with myself. And I really wanted to find something that had more purpose to it. And so I was reading a family circle magazine at the time, old, old school here. I'm showing my age. <laughs> and there was a story in there about a lady in Atlanta who had helped her mom to downsize and relocate. And it took this lady who was a Fortune 500 CEO about four months to go through this process with her mom. And she said when she was doing that, all her mom's friends started coming out of the woodwork and saying, I need help too. So she started a company that won an award from an American Express Entrepreneurship Award. And I thought, maybe I want to do this. So I really decided to go into the field of helping senior citizens with downsizing. And as I did that, I was exposed more and more to people who had dementia and Alzheimer's. And, and it just grabbed my heart because it's such a strange, crazy disease and never the same with any two people. And um, it, it was my, uh, for eight years, I owned a company that, that helped people. And then I decided to go to work for a senior living community. And there, it was really my job to raise funds for programs for seniors. It's really ironic. Now, my mother, who is 87, lives at that senior living community where I raised the funds to get a program for memory care. So that's really how I how I went through that journey. And then how I am where I am today is, is how I got there is basically I was at home recuperating from a, a knee surgery. And I, again, just sort of thumbing through Indeed to see what was out there and saw this about empowering women out of prison. And I thought, you know, I grew up at a home for girls. My mom and dad um, were the directors, but I was with different girls my entire life that had hard past. And then just what I had been through. And I thought I would love to maybe be able to help some of these women to understand the value of your friendships with other women and the encouragement that you can get from one another just by sharing your story and coming alongside somebody when they're walking that path. When you've maybe learned a little bit and you have empathy for them, you can you can certainly help them to see that doesn't define who you are or what your life is going to look like for the rest of your life. And so I sort of took a chance through my name in the hat and earned the job very quickly, but then we were locked out due to COVID. So it's been kind of a wild ride, but it's a wonderful organization. And just every single day, Marissa, it's a, a blessing to be able to see women when the light bulb comes on and they're like, oh, I, I can do this. And I do have value. I, I still have something to offer society that is, is, is a value and is worthy. And I can do this. And I think when somebody says, I believe in you, whether it's in prison or out of prison, if you can just tell your friends and notice what they're going through and then just say, Hey, I believe in, in you and I'm here to help you. It really can change somebody's life. It's such an important step in, in telling people, I, I, I say all the time, like give compliments to people when you're thinking something like 
you know, like, I like this person's smile or I like what they're saying, like, just be honest, even if they're strangers, because it means so much to people um, to be able to tell them. But especially when you can, when you could look at somebody 